Welcome back to the Starbase Indie Podcast, where we talk to and about people who are inspired by Star Trek or science fiction to work towards hopeful futures in the real world. Um, I am Rose Sparks. I am an author and an artist. Um, I'm queer, widow. Um, yeah, I just kind of dabble in a lot of different things. So, so what drew you to speculative fiction? Um, I guess I've always kind of had my eyes on fantasy and sci-fi ever since I was a kid. Um, I was one of those kids who every month would pull out the Scholastica order form and I would just order the new Animorph book and I was just obsessed and it was just ever since then it's just been eyes to the prize so when I actually started writing it was just kind of a no-brainer of what I would actually write so so you were a fan of science and speculative fiction growing up absolutely um I, I never really had a preference over fantasy or sci-fi it was and I think you can definitely see that in my work because I kind of don't differentiate between the two like a lot of the times there's um I kind of go between one or the other um I do fantasy sci-fi as well as hard sci-fi and hard fantasy so I just don't like to have rules basically <laughs> so that's fair. That's a, yeah. There's been that sort of uh, Twitter conversation about the distinction between the two. Uh, you know, it's fantasy oh, one yeah. and yeah. and they've been highly amusing, but also that that the distinction is very arbitrary for people. I think the one I heard that was actually super interesting was um, fantasy grows from the bottom up and science fiction grows from the top down and i'm like you know that actually kind of makes sense like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean they, i think they were trying to play off the stalactite stalagmite yeah, yeah, thing but there's yeah. also a valid piece to it right yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, so what authors have influenced your work um, so obviously, K. Applegate with the Animorphs, um, but um, I was also a fan of the Redwall series when I was a kid, probably younger than I should have been considering how bloody some of those books can be. <laughs> um, but as I was older, um, back into college, I was a big fan of Cory Doctorow. Mm -hmm. um, he's the, a sci-fi artist, or not artist, but author, who's also big into things like Creative Commons, and he talks a lot about um, copyright and things like that. Um, when he first started releasing his books, he actually actually released them all free as ebooks, um, which was super cool and different at the time. It wasn't as common. Um, I don't know if he still does now, but now that he's like super popular, well-known, but you know, time bestseller. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a different stance at the time. Um, but his book, a uh, little brother just kind of really changed how I thought of, um, fiction in general. So yeah, he definitely influenced how I write. So what was it about Little Brother that changed how you thought about fiction? Um, so the book is a YA book, and it is kind of like a modern uh, companion to 1984. Mm -hmm. um, and 
he did not shy away from being like super invested in like the tech of it. Um, and it's like a near future thing. So the tech is like, it's something that could be, but we're not quite there yet. Um, but there was just a lot going on in it. And it was one of those books where it had like the inward personal emotional focus, but then there was a whole lot of hard sci-fi going on it at the same time. Um, the way I would describe it now looking back on it is like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm -hmm. um, and just like, there's so much going on. That movie is just literally everything. There's Kung Fu, there's comedy, there's the immigration experience, there's the experience of family and queerness. It's literally everything. And that's kind of it where it's like, there's so much nuance and so much going on. And I feel like that's kind of where I want my fiction to be, where it's like there's so much to the experience you can't really explain it in one sentence. So, yeah. And that makes the marketing of it more challenging. Even it though does. the creative is more fulfilling, but the marketing is more challenging. Yeah, it definitely does. And that is somewhere where I really struggle, even though. Um, I actually worked in marketing as a, I started as a graphic designer and a studio artist. Um, I eventually worked up to art director and even having worked in it for a decade, I very much struggle marketing my own work because like you said, it's, it's just a difficult thing to market. Like the, for one, the market is very niche, um, mm -hmm. especially having so many isms like being having mental health and queerness and all that, but also um, it's just not very easy to explain in a sentence. So, yeah. I know a lot of independent creators do sort of struggle with that. You have to market yourself, but what drew you to it was the work and not the marketing. And then, so how do you balance that for yourself? Uh, that is, very good question and that's actually something that i've struggled with this past year um especially um being disabled and the past six months or so i've had some issues with my health so i've had to kind of step back from both the marketing and the writing um and the marketing was the thing that's been hardest hit um because it's like when it comes down to it um I have to choose whether I want to give up the thing that actually brought me to in the first place, which is the writing, or do I want more people to read it? And that's definitely not the thing that I think everyone would choose. Like, I'm not in it necessarily to make a ton of money, and I realize that I am privileged in that way in some ways. Um, not everyone has that ability. Some people really need to know the grindstone on being able to make a living off of it. So they have, would have to focus on the marketing of it. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a really tough, tough decision and it has to be a personal decision. So yeah, there's no easy answers for that one. It's a lot of pros and cons. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone went into, uh, artistic life because it was supposed to be easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say that having a community of writers, it makes um, not just like the marketing aspect and learning things and 
finding people to help you with things when you can't do it yourself so much easier, but it makes getting through it so much easier. Um, I never would have gotten as far as I have if it wasn't for the Twitter writing community. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started, um, I actually started writing poetry and then I started going from there into short stories and then eventually novellas and novels. Um, and I originally did not get into Twitter for years and years and years because I just didn't get it. (laughs) I was like, I don't get this platform. I don't want to be on it. This is ridiculous. And then I forced myself to be on there for a couple months. And then once I started getting momentum, I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. And then I met some great people. And now it's just kind of snowballed to where there are some people on there that I would not have been able to publish if it wasn't for them. So like, I've really created some great relationships on writing Twitter. And um, also, I'm to the point where I help others at the same time. So I think like, getting that relationship with other people, not writers and readers is super important, even if it's not local. So yeah, finding community. And if you're limited in being able to get out as all of us have been with the pandemic and even still uh for some people more than others social media can be that bridge absolutely um there's twitter there's discords there's instagram there are plenty of places to reach out um, and actually create those connections so and for as many challenges as the various platforms have the people on them still can be in certain communities can be more, much more positive than the, yeah than the reputation of the platform. Right. It's not really the platform yeah. you're there for You're there for the people that are on it. There's, you're always going to find problems with the platform. Um, and you'll find that the people who have been there the longest will help you find ways to navigate those problems too. Um, like muting, blocking, or even just giving you heads up of people to avoid, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So you've mentioned a couple of times that you're, that you're queer and for a lot of members of the queer community, finding science fiction and some of the ideas there helped them shape their identity or understand their identity or grab language that, that helped them understand the world differently. Was that true for you? Um, interestingly, I, I'm one of those weird people who wasn't super active in the queer community, um, either growing up or even as like a young adult, um, growing up, it was because I was raised in a pretty conservative Christian home. Like my father was a preacher. Um, I kind of came out pretty late, uh, well, not super late as like a 16, 17, um, and then I actually met my wife in high school, um, and we were together for a very long time before she passed away. So it was like one of those things where um, we had each other, so we weren't super invested in reaching out as much to other people, mostly because as a young adult, a lot of the queer scene is dating. So it's like, um, uh, we can't have each other. So I don't know if this is working. Um, but as I got older, um, but also like in the nineties, and early two thousands, like there wasn't as much queer media that was as available. It feels like there's a lot more now, which is fantastic. Um, but at the time, um, the media I did get into, I feel like, it kind of gave me the language of like the found family 
mm-hmm. um, which is something that is just totally a big queer experience, like 100%. So many of us um, just don't have that family support, either wholly or in part. Um, so it, it's just been intrinsic in not only my life, but in my fiction. So I think it is also and I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you are, I think, um, that be, when I was younger, being a geek even was a little outside the mainstream, as is, you know, as was being queer. And so that science fiction opportunity of seeing people who are outside the mainstream um, was important. And that found family shows up, I think, in those circles, because of the difference. It's not you're not going to see must see TV, you know, which hasn't been around in a while, but it didn't necessarily show anybody outside the mainstream. Right. And so if you wanted to be find people who are different, you kind of had to go to genre fiction. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely, um, I saw a post recently that talked a little bit about, about this and I 100% agree. Like the experience of fantasy and sci-fi being more like a mainstream genre is definitely a new thing versus before it was more like, you're that weird kid in the corner who reads during like math class. And I'm like sitting here with Redwall, like not listening. Um, and I was the weird kid or Animorphs or whatever. Um, and I would have like my niche of like four or five very close friends that I would talk to. And we were all obsessed with the same, like very genre, either anime or like sci-fi or fantasy books. And like no one else would talk to us, but it would be like us through four to five people, kids. Um, and that was my same experience through elementary school, um, same four or five kids. And then in high school, it was just the geeks, um, which, and it's so strange now for like things like the rings of power to be like this super big, um, series, uh, and like that to be like, and the, uh, Marvel and DC to be like these super big mainstream series. It's just super strange for it now to be like, so Hollywood. Um, but yeah, it definitely is, you had learned as like a kid and a young adult to be super invested in the people who saw the the world as you did and um, just kind of cling to those people, I guess. So it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely a different experience now. And saw the world as fundamentally different than the everyday experience right that's part of the genre experience of you know i actually don't turn on the news and see people flying around manhattan um but that idea that the world could be different is outside and is important i think to people who for whom the the mundane world is less functional less helpful yeah definitely um and for myself one of the things that I tend to um, focus on a lot in my fiction and I talk about this a lot and I'm sure people are so sick of me talking about it. Um, I'm not. 
I don't even know if you're going to talk about it, but I'm definitely not sick of it. So go for it. <laughs> um, so I actually, speaking of disability and creating and everything, um, when I first started having issues, um, I mostly did art. And there was about a year or so where I could not do any art because I was in so much physical pain. So that was when I started doing writing. Um, because the thing is, like, I tackle, like, my experiences and stressors and trauma all through um, creative endeavors. Um, but it's not just that. The reason I focus specifically on, like, science fiction, speculative fantasy versus, like, just writing memoirs or contemporary or things like that is, I like to say, like, I I approach my trauma through like a side door. I don't necessarily want to sit down and wrote write exactly what happened. Like that is too head on for me. That's like bull in a china shop situation. Um, by writing it through um, the experience of a character who's like meeting aliens on a spaceship, but like they're experiencing the same sort of trauma that I went through. It's, distant enough that I can deal with it without it being so close that I, my mind just completely shuts down. So I feel like in that way, it gets, I feel like there's like two aspects to the speculative um, fiction of like, there's, yes, there's the escapism where it's like, I just want to be completely away from who I am and like what the world is, but also I want to deal with things that is going on in my life, but I want to deal with it in a way that is far enough away from myself that my brain doesn't completely shut down and disassociate. So, Well, and there's a meta aspect to doing it through genre speculative fiction, right? You're not recounting the experience. You are looking for the meaning and the, uh, the themes of it and how they apply somewhere else. And so that has a different approach. And it's maybe why so many controversial social topics show up in social in science fiction before they can show up in straight fiction, right? Absolutely. Um, and so and it also means you're looking at it in a reflective way instead of just a, you know, reporting kind of way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like when I wrote Daylight Chasers, um, it was early on after my wife had passed away and I was just dealing with a lot of um, the grief from that. And I won't go into all of the story because I don't want to spoil anything, but um, a lot of the background and what goes on with it is just me kind of figuring out my own feelings on the subject and through the lens of people hopping in time zones and like, um, writing notes through extinct species and swimming with sharks. And it's just like this ridiculous story, but like there's something very deep and um, emotional about it at the same time. It's like, I take the challenge of, can I make this super ridiculous, but also like make someone cry? <laughs> <laughs> Catharsis is a thing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Mm -hmm. So... So you're going for the emotion around a thing, not necessarily the um, 
the direct description of it, but how does it feel and how do you put that into another frame? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, d I guess my world building would be considered soft world building is how it's been typically described. Um, I'm not one who will sit there and go paragraph by paragraph how something works per se. Um, I just kind of leave it to the imagination um, because it's not necessarily what the story is about. So, I was at Worldcon recently and listening to a panel of authors and they made the point that the way you future-proof your science fiction is you don't go into the details of how it works because you're going to be wrong on that. You go into the details of how humans interact with it because that's an interest that that is also interesting and you have better chances of hitting on the themes that'll be lasting. I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. That absolutely makes sense. Um, I actually, my sister is, um, she is a astrophysicist who has worked with the Boston Museum of Science for a long time. And she is a, oh, I don't know exactly what the term is, but she's like a volunteer slash like, uh, representative for NASA. Um, and she, ambassador, maybe. Ambassador, yeah, that's the word. Um, and, like, she won't read my fiction. <laughs> she's, like, <laughs> she's like, I don't read sci-fi because it's, and it's not because she personally would doesn't want to read mine, but she's like, in general, I just don't read science fiction because she's like, a lot of it is not, unless someone recommends it to her who is a scientist, she's like, I just... For one, she doesn't read much fiction, but two, she's like, most of it is like not scientifically accurate and she gets super nitpicky. So yeah, you could definitely see the future proofing when a lot of it isn't even current proofing. So, And a lot of it's not trying to be right. They're, that's yeah, not the story yeah. they're telling. But yeah, yeah, there's certainly a piece of most media where you have to it's almost like there should be a dial for how far you have to turn your scientific knowledge down. Field yeah. To it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like at the point where astrophysicist is like, this is not written for you. So <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. This is written for like the 80% of the population. So yeah. yeah, I have, I have taken science fiction books to some book clubs I've been in and had people say, but this is about the people like, uh-huh yeah <laughs> yup that's no that's actually how a lot of it is there's definitely this assumption that like science fiction is all about like the aliens and like the tech and spaceships and all that and same with fantasy where it's like it's all about the sword fighting and it's like no it's it's a lot more complex and there's such a variety especially now where um it feels like the rules are being less and less relevant which i am a hundred percent for so yeah yeah absolutely so you write a whole bunch of different types of things you said you started with poetry and you have worked your way up all the way to you know novels in terms of length and novellas and short stories and even a web serial what is your favorite form um i think my sweet spot is like the novella short story long short story um i have a 
difficulty making things short anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the Fable of Wren actually started as a short story and that's a novel. So yeah, that was a problem. Yeah, um, some of them just decide they don't, they're not done with you. Yeah. Um, and the, I have a novel and a novella that I'm working on and they both were originally supposed to be like shorter and no, they did not, they did not do that. Um, so I think I've just kind of given up on like anything being shorter than like 7,000 words and airing on the side of 30,000 words at minimum. <laughs> so, which is unfortunate because that's not, um, like a very marketable, like most people want either novels or like super bite-sized fiction, but that's what I end up writing. So what can you do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although the um, the popularity of the murder bot diaries does give me some uh, joy, so yeah. And how so? That is uh, that I mean, because the they were released in pretty short um, sections, so uh, they are novellas technically. So yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um. So you have talked in some other interviews that I found about the importance of giving yourself space as a creative. So how do you go about creating that space for yourself and for your work? Um, so I think like two important things is balancing like the input and the output. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like especially, I mean, like we live in the capitalist era of productivity and go 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 um there's a um author slash um oh she advises authors um becca sign and she writes books and she also it has a podcast and the book she, series she's wrote written is the first book is writer you need to quit um, and she talks about questioning the premise um, and one and that's basically like questioning the things that people tell you you have to do and one of them is the you have to write a book a month and it's this is definitely a thing that people say and like stand by because they're like if you want to get make it in indie publishing and self-publishing you have to write a book a month in order to be profitable and it's like we have which she's like no like write at your pace because you will like lose your love for writing and you will burn yourself out if you try to write faster than is naturally your pace um but it's like if you don't give your brain the time it needs to recharge you're just gonna be burnt out for one but also you're just gonna lo lose your love for it um and this goes for any sort of creative thing. Um, this is why like being able to do art and writing is actually helpful for me. I definitely can't do art to the same extent I used to by any means, but I can at least do some here or there when I'm kind of written myself out. It kind of uses a different part of my brain, but it also still lets me be creative. Um, but also just like the input of like 
watching something new, reading something new, playing a game, like inputting new information and letting it kind of percolate in my brain and new ideas coming from that. So the input versus the level of output. Like if you're always outputting, you're not going to have enough new information coming in that you can actually create. Um, so there's that. Um, and then the second part is um, like, okay, so from the beginning to end, the Fable of Ren took like two years. And that's because I, the Fable of Ren, when I wrote it, was like, 35 40,000 words and by the end it was 70,000 words after a significant amount of additions and a significant amount of editing and the story was very different um and that's because i had to kind of let myself relook at what the story was telling me um but also because i write like I said, through my trauma, it was like looking at what I wanted out of the story, what I originally was trying to tell the story, but then as I got in the weeds, started to lose. Um, so for me, as a discovery writer who sometimes plans, <laughs> um, like writing is not like a very stringent experience um for some writers it's very like i'm gonna write a um 12 page outline and i'm gonna hit all these bullet points and if i don't hit them then i'm gonna be very mad with myself and that's totally cool for me it's very much like an influx situation um so i feel like letting yourself learn what works for you and experimenting with things that um do and don't work and not getting mad at yourself if something doesn't work. Um, but also as you're actually working through letting yourself make mistakes, but also questioning yourself as you're working through it. So writing is, uh, it is such a complicated experience. It is so complicated. <laughs> so yeah, like to giving yourself grace, I think would be a good, um, way to say it. Like, and this is something that I am currently struggling with now that I've been in publishing for a few years. Um, I feel like when I first started writing, I was like all how I felt something should be and my own style and looking at the fiction that I wrote at the beginning. Um, yes, there were editing things that I think could be fixed, but I feel like I was a little more free with format and things like that. I feel like the industry tries to make everyone Hemingway and Stephen King. So like now when I sit down to write, it's very difficult not to second guess myself. Um, so that's something I'm currently struggling with. And I feel like a lot of writers as they've been in the industry for a while start to feel that pressure. Um, so that's something that I'm currently trying to come back to is like what I actually want that is not having Wayne Stephen King for my own writing and coming back to some of my earlier work and rediscovering what I actually enjoyed about it. So, yeah. It's that finding, right. yeah, finding your voice and staying true to it. Yeah. Even though you're Definitely. not Hemingway or Stephen King. 
I, and I don't even want to be Hemingway or Stephen King. It's right, like right. the hate on the adjectives thing. It's like there's nothing wrong with adjectives. Just don't put a million of them in. Just, it doesn't mean you can't put any of them in. Like, just don't overuse them. So I think it's got to be um, balance. It's just the gist of it, balance. So That makes sense. Your bio, we've talked, been talking around this a little bit, your bio says that you traverse the equally harsh and cathartic landscape where trauma and healing align to create stories that burrow into the hearts and minds of their readers. First of all, I just wanted to read that because I thought it was a beautiful piece of language. <laughs> uh, but give me an example of some of the ways that your stories have impacted your trauma or someone else's stories have impacted your trauma? Um, so I talked a little bit about Daily Chasers, um, but there's, oh, I could, there's so many, so many. Um, <laughs> there are a couple in The Stars Will Guide Us Back specifically that I could think of. Um, trans differentiate and the stars will guide us back um it's one of the more popular stories and it's a little closer to a one-to-one -one reflection of some of the things i've struggled with as a widow um i don't think i'd be giving too much weight to give um some of the premise is um the main character uh his husband has terminal cancer and the story is him trying to figure out a way to basically cure him through um, his studies into a type of jellyfish. Um, and I won't, obviously I won't go to the way the rest of it, um, but he becomes more and more invested and starts to lose some of his ethics. Um, and the gist of the emotionality of that is, um, losing yourself to and losing the connection you have to that person um in your grief and um i think that's something that anyone who has lost someone has struggled with um so like how far do you go to in your grief to try and get back what you lost because it's so easy to become so invested in remembering and um, trying to get back that person. So like, I feel like that, that 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 was a character I could become really invested in. So, and that was actually, I feel like I shouldn't say this. It was actually the second short story I've ever written. Um, so <laughs> it was a really, really early shit story, but I really liked it and I did go through quite a bit of edits. So I feel okay saying that. So yeah. Um, and then a second one is actually the last story. Um, and it's a story of two women who there's like, uh, it's apocalyptic scenario. It's not super explained exactly what the apocalypse is as much as just said that it's some sort of environmental thing. And it's these two women kind of going through the end of the apocalypse and um, getting closer together 
And what it comes down to is one person is invested in finding a solution and the other person is invested in the relationship and that tension between the, that, that the two, as far as like, she wants something different than the other person does. So, and that one of the guilts that I have, and I feel like a lot of people who have lost someone or even specifically widows go through is did i work too much was i not attentive enough and so it's like definitely like one of those guilt personal guilts that i kind of took and went with in like a different direction but was able to take something that was very personal and apply it to um a pretty ridiculous premise <laughs> so yeah so you've talked about, you know, being a widow, being disabled. How do those things impact the process you use in your work and the content of your work? Um, I think it just informs like literally everything I write. Uh, I don't think I write anything that doesn't isn't affected by just my past. And I, I don't think that's necessarily uncommon. Um, I just think I have, unfortunately, quite a bit of crap to draw from, <laughs> for good or bad. Um, uh, I think it does make it a little bit difficult sometimes, even as a reader, um, to navigate even just like finding fiction to read. Um, but as a writer, um, it, it I, on some level, it's the reason I write. So... I mean, there's a, there's a good thing. On the other hand, it does make writing sometimes difficult. Um, so, for example, the fable around the it's a magical realism novel, but it's also a mystery kind of. Can, it's one of those hard to define books. Um, but again, at its core, it's like a novel about grief, um, and it has a non-binary main character, um, and. There are a few times while writing that book that I was just like literally just crying as I'm writing some scenes. And on one hand, it was cathartic, um, which is good. But on the other hand, it's, as you can imagine, would be, it would be difficult to write. So Exhausting. It's like yeah, so I'm definitely glad I did it, but um, it can be draining. So it does make it difficult to want to sit down and do it. So, so what are you working on now? Okay. Um, so I don't know if I mentioned it here, um, but the reason I started writing was my wife was actually a writer um, and for, she did self-publish one web serial collection like 10, 15 years ago, um, but mostly she wrote for herself and she did NaNoWriMo basically every year. Um, she didn't always finish, she, but she did finish quite a few and I have quite a few of her finished novels. Um, so I am looking at those and I'm looking at actually publishing some of those. Um, so that's kind of a project that I'm slowly looking at taking on. So you might see something of that soon. Where can people find your work on the web? Um, you can find my website where I have um, 
or signed books as well as art prints and zines at ruesparks.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Twitter as ruesparks, um, and then Instagram at ru.sparks, TikTok as ruesparks, and then Facebook is just Facebook slash ruesparks. Makes it easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ru, R-U-E, Sparks, like you would think. Yep. yep. And of course, coming up, you'll be able to, people will be able to find you at Starbase Indie this year. Yep. Yep. So we're excited to have you. Absolutely. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm super excited. And I'm totally going to buy all the things. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is a danger, but also a benefit because, you know, we, we happen over Black Friday and Small Business Saturday. You have to shop. It's like moral imperative. Mm hmm. And I have so many geek friends, so Christmas shopping. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And it, most of our vendor room is small creators. So it's stuff you're not going to find online probably or, you know. Yeah, I went to Seattle Comic-Con and spent like 90% of my time in the in the artist room. So, yeah, that's my bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me this afternoon. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.